the black sheet. I know Bruce has sat up front just wondering. It's not that big a deal, is it? Yeah. It's not a magic trick. Sorry to disappoint. Um, hey, these, um, these are vases, these front ones. I want you to think of these vases like uh, our life, like your life, like kind of where your life is at, where my life is at. And in the one sense here, um, this vase represents a vase where, while it's ideal for us to be open so that we can be filled with all that God has for us, there is stuff just taking up space in our life. And some of the things that are in the way are, are taking the capacity that we would otherwise have um, were we to be open, emptied, ready for God to pour into us, um, maybe even in the vein of the messages we're in, maybe even emptied so that the Holy Spirit could actually fill us. Um, and this face right here, which represents what would be wonderful so that we would have a life that is not full of other things, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, you can pour a lot of water. You can be almost, yeah, you can be filled in that one. But this one, same jar, same amount of water in here, with all the other stuff in the way, I mean, you can still have some stuff, but it's about still half full, and when we realize all that God has for us, wouldn't we want more? Wouldn't we want all that he has for you and for me, um, because sometimes, truth about my life and yours is that some of the reasons, at least, and this isn't a legalistic thing, but it is that we have stuff in the way. We have other things kind of taking up space where the Holy Spirit could be filling us. Um, and so maybe sometimes if we were able to even realize what is in the way and ask God to show us and to speak to us so that we could take those things out of the way, then it would make room for more of what God has for you and for me so that we could be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. And so really my question that I've been thinking about this morning is what kinds of things might be in the way for some of us, especially when it comes to walking with God and being filled with the Spirit? Are there addictions in our life? Are there things like distractions crowding out the space in our life? Are there things like you know, a lack of willingness to be humble or open to what God would teach me? Are there places where there is just stuff in the way and so that even when I do have some of that fullness, it tends to get crowded back out. For some of us, maybe it's lust that's crowding stuff out. Maybe it's judgmentalism. Maybe it's political fighting. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe there's any number of things that are taking up space in our life where it doesn't leave us the um, room that we want to have, ideally that we want to have for God. Let me give you an example. This week, um, I was full of some things. I was realized I looked. I, I was doing my um, um, my examine my examine prayer and kind of looking back, not just at my day but my week. And I asked God to bring light, show me. You know, the days pass, the week passes. Is there anything that He wants me to see? And as I was doing that, I was um, feeling uh, I was feeling a little crabby. And as I looked back, I was like, Whoa, wow. 
I was really crabby with people. I mean, you know, I, I do know it's a signal that I need to take time to just be alone with Jesus and to recharge. And um, also a factor was, you know, I'm doing this experiment where I'm not eating carbs for a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, pray for me and for Heidi. Um, but as I kind of reflected back um, and asked God to bring light to just show me what I wasn't seeing, um, I saw that I had less patience with other people. Probably started with our elder meeting on Monday night where I was like, huh, I think I was, I was a little short in that meeting with everyone. I had less patience, less kindness. I listened less. I was quickly frustrated. I was, even though I was eating other foods that didn't have carbs, I was, um, was kind of hangry all the time. Anybody have a hangry person in their family? A few of you giving up the, yeah, some, is that you? Is it you or somebody else? Yeah, okay, there's a few confessors with me. Yeah, that's me. Heidi insists that uh, it's a Glenn trait, but I think it's probably just me and Noah. I don't, I don't know if you guys, yeah, my parents, oh, mom's saying yes. Okay, so there we go. I come by it honestly. All right, this is good to know. Um, but I was just, you know, like, and my wife got to see me full of impatience and aggravation, and she got to see that. You know, every day, thank God she's so kind and patient and forgiving, but I was full of entitlement. I was full of impatience and unkindness and irritation, and I tell you what, I noticed that here I am trying to write the next message in our series here where we're talking about being full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm noticing that I didn't have a lot of space to experience that this week until God called to my attention that stuff. And I could begin to ask him to take it out, to repent, which simply just means like to turn and go the other direction, right? Acknowledge, we confess, we say what was wrong, we turn the other way. But until I did that, I'm telling you, there was not a lot of room for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to operate in my life, uh, which is an obstacle. It's an obstacle to being filled with the Spirit and living by the Spirit when I am full of it, other stuff, we'll call it. Now, the New Testament instructs us, the followers of Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit. We've talked about that in the last few weeks. Uh, we talked about how Scripture says we are not to just uh, be filled with the Spirit, but we're supposed to eagerly, zealously, is the word, desire the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. But I'm acknowledging that sometimes the reason, sometimes, not always, this isn't a thorough like rule, but sometimes the reason that I'm not experiencing more of the fullness of the Spirit in my life, maybe sometimes some of the reasons that the gifts of the Spirit maybe aren't being displayed yet is that it's hard to make room when I'm filled with other stuff because there's stuff in the way. It's an obstacle. So we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit and I want to look at what those gifts of the Spirit are because for some of us, I believe, we're not open to it because there's something that's crowding it out, right? How come I haven't experienced this? There's probably a whole bunch of reasons, but the reason that I just want to poke at today is maybe there's something that's crowding out openness for us to make room for the Holy Spirit to move in that way. So 1 Corinthians 12, Apostle Paul, this is a long passage here, and he's going to tell us nine of the gifts of the Spirit, and these are what we would call the charismatic is the word in the, the chariz or spirit-filled gifts. Here we go. We're going to read on the screen. Uh, now, to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given 
through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. It's saying all of these are coming from the same Spirit. It's not different spirits giving each gift. To another miraculous powers, miracle as most translations say, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing or discerning between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of those tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, in our series, Supernatural, um, we're about a month into looking more deeply at the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And if you weren't here, I'm going to give you a quick catch-up. And if you were here, maybe these things weren't clear. (laughs) But um, the first thing, there's three things I want to do to catch us up. The first thing is that we looked at how the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Uh, Second thing is we looked at how these are good gifts. These are gifts from God, and therefore they are good things, not for us to need to be afraid of. Then the third thing here is that I looked at a couple obstacles that are common, why some of us maybe haven't experienced these gifts of the Spirit, or that we don't experience the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. And some of it's because of a lack of good teaching, like nobody's ever taught us what the Bible actually says Um, Sometimes it's because we're passive. We haven't experienced it because we're kind of just standing back with our arms folded. Ah, this is just optional. You know, if God wants me to experience it, then I guess it's okay. But I'm just going to live with my arms folded and stay neutral-ish on this one. We looked at how Scripture doesn't allow for that option. It says, yeah, that's not the posture that a follower of Jesus would take. Um, And so we went back to Scripture on each of these. We went back to Scripture to make sure everything that we were teaching and looking at was backed by the Scriptures. And especially in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, and this is in a command form, where the Apostle Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And important in this be filled with the Spirit is that the, the word here is a command in the Greek. It's to be filled over and over and over. It's a continual present tense. So it means do this again and again and again, not just a one-time thing, but be filled over and over and over. So with all of that, those of us who are followers of Jesus um, and, and we follow the teachings of Scripture, with those things in light, I ask these two questions. Do you want the gifts that the Holy Spirit has for you? And are you willing to seek them? And now, I know that some of us I've talked to have said, yes, I want these gifts that the Holy Spirit has for me. And, and yes, I will. I will look and seek and ask and knock. And I know for some of us, we've actually maybe had some experiences where some of that is coming up for us, and, and it's really good. Maybe some of us actually know that some of us are beginning to test out what it means to operate in some of these gifts. So by the way, if you're worried like, oh my gosh, are we going to start doing really freaky things on Sunday morning here and people running through the room with banners? No, that's okay. Don't worry. Relax. That's not going to happen. Okay, it's all. Some of you are disappointed maybe, but no, like... But it doesn't, it's naturally supernatural is kind of the word we use often around these things. Like, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be weird. God can do these things, right? Now, um, the big point that I want to start with here at this part of the message, so, is that in order for us to be filled, 
um, we have to make room. It's like looking back at this illustration. In order to be filled, we want to take out all the stuff that would be in the way, that would get in the way, so that we can fully be filled with what the Holy Spirit has for us. So my question for you is the question I've been asking myself for a number of weeks, but especially this week. The question is, so what's in the way? What's in the way? Is there anything in my life, in your life, maybe even in our church that is crowding out the space for us to be able to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And mostly, at least for a minute here, I I want to look at something that's partly my own journey, but I think some of you have been on this journey as well. One of the things that crowds out this openness to experiencing the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has for us is that we have seen things that are called the gifts of the Holy Spirit or supernatural gifts. We've seen them misused and abused, right? Which leads to, you know, I think a healthy skepticism. Skepticism can be healthy, right? God's not afraid of our questions, not at all. We continue to look and and ask, and he's not offended by that. But sometimes, like with me, that skepticism becomes a rock that gets in the way and kind of blocks me from being able to enter more deeply into this. Now, would I want a rock of skepticism to stand in the way of something that is a good thing? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't want that. Um... And, and, and friends, by the way, if you're in that place where you've seen this stuff abused or misused and you're like, oh, this, is, this is interesting to say that, put it mildly, right? I totally get it. I totally get it. That, that skepticism, especially if you've seen this stuff misused, it's a legitimate concern. I want to name that and say that it is wrong. I have seen people who have claimed to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit and in my opinion, they were, they were full of it, right? Maybe they were faking it. Maybe they were trying to look spiritually advanced and impress people. Um, maybe, in some cases, I do think some of them were complete frauds trying to take advantage of people. Um, sometimes I can think of a couple people who were emotionally unstable, psychologically unstable. Um, but for whatever reason, I've been skeptical and, and still have a healthy caution I think, around this, and maybe you're that kind of in that range of being a fellow skeptic because you've seen the, the gifts be abused and just flat out strange. I mean, think about, like, even if we would look back at the list of all those gifts, they already seem kind of strange already. Those are nine of the gifts of the Spirit. They just kind of seem weird already. Like, what? Tongues? What? Prophecy? Really? A gift of healing? A gift of miracles? I mean, it already sounds kind of out of our comfort zone to begin with. But then you add to that, like, question mark, the fact that people are just weird, right? And it's enough reason to go, whoa, I'm backing off of that, right? I, I, for me, anyways, I see it that way. Um, or when you see somebody abuse it and misuse it, and it comes to light that it's been a hoax, um, Sometimes even well-meaning people of God, by the way, can misuse a gift, but some people do way worse than misuse the gift. They're counterfeits, and it seems to be a complete fraud. And so I'm just going to look at, what did I end up doing? I cut it down to four of the gifts of those nine, because it would have been really fun to do them all, but I didn't. Um, I want to look at some examples of these gifts, and I want to look at 
like some of the counterfeits that, that for good reason, have some of us concerned. Don't worry, we'll circle back to some legit reasons that these get used as well. But here we go. Here's a few examples here of the weird and even counterfeit ways that the gifts of the Spirit have been misused or abused. Um, First Corinthians passage there, it lists the word of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Um, and here's the great definition. This, it's where the Holy Spirit tells you something. If you have a word of knowledge, the Holy Spirit tells you something that is true in the present that you could not have otherwise known. Like it's already a fact. You could have looked it up or Googled it, but you didn't. Holy Spirit told it to you and you looked out and said, hey, your name is Bill to a guy that you didn't know. I mean, that would be a simple example of a word of knowledge. And I do believe that words of knowledge are real. In fact, I'll give you one later. But here's a counterfeit that lots of people have seen and then just wiped the whole thing away because of this guy here. You guys know who this faith healer is? Anybody know that guy from the 80s? Peter Popoff, if I say that name, does anybody know who he is? There were all, thank you, yes, there we go. There were all kinds of like exposés and Nightline specials. Do they still have Nightline? Yeah, do they? Okay. There were all these things that were done that exposed this guy um, because he would go around and do his, you know, healing crusades um, and he would go into a room and he would have specific words of knowledge is what he was claiming to use. Probably saw some other people do it and thought I can fake that. And so he would have specific details about someone in the audience and then claim to either heal them or solicit some kind of donations from them. But in 1986, investigators took a radio scanner to one of his revivals, to this revival that Peter Popoff was doing. And the radio scanner picked up and overheard his wife, Liz, feeding him names and illnesses through an earpiece. And apparently there were plants in the audience who would chat people up and then give that information to her, and then she would feed that information to him and just make it look like a really big deal. And he'd listen through this you know, earpiece, and he would then call out of the crowd, you with this name, and here's the job you do, and here's the ailment you have. He would call that out of the crowd, as the omniscience of the Lord, like God giving him a word of knowledge. But he was exposed on national TV as a complete fraud. And when that happened, lots of people went, oh, God doesn't do that. Well, he didn't do that with him. But maybe he still does that. This guy was a counterfeit word of knowledge guy. Uh, how about the gift of healing? Now, legitimately, the gift of healing um, would be uh, the Holy Spirit-given ability to impart miraculous healing to the body or soul of a person in Jesus' name, right? God shows up, somebody's miraculously made whole, it's a healing, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. But, again, lots of people doubt because you've heard of counterfeit healings, Right? Um, staged healings, Peter like people like that Peter Popoff guy, or or um, I think he must have inspired the movie. Anybody seen this one, the Steve Martin movie a long time ago, Leap of Faith? Anybody see that one? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and oftentimes, and this movie actually kind of shows how oftentimes the poorest of the poor uh, and desperate people are taken advantage of um, by a fake faith healer 
And then sometimes if somebody goes, well, I didn't get healed, then they get shamed and all this bad theology comes into play to explain why they weren't healed, which can also be damaging, right? Well, you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't get healed because, well, God didn't want you healed. All kinds of stuff, right, that people, because of the fake faith healings or not seeing healing happen, And I think so, so sadly, because some people have abused this gift of healing and had a counterfeit version of it, that lots of people don't believe any of it's real, which sadly makes it very hard to lean into, especially if you need healing for something. And you look at your Bible and say, well, it says in there that this happens, like you can do the stuff that Jesus did according to Jesus. Where is it? Where is it? Well, after a counterfeit, sometimes people just withdraw and just throw the whole thing away. Uh, The gift of prophecy is also listed in that 1 Corinthians passage. This is an interesting one here. The gift of prophecy, now legitimately, it would be the Holy Spirit-given ability to know something that will happen in the future. So where a word of knowledge is something that's just true right now, like I'd look at you and go, hey, this is the salary you make, which I wouldn't do, but (laughs) like if God gave a word of knowledge and I knew something, I could just say that and go, wow, that's weird. How would you have known that? That would have been a word of knowledge. But a, a, a prophecy is different in that it's about something that happens in the future. Um, anybody remember in the late 80s, this incredibly, uh, popular book, there we go. 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Anybody remember this book, or am I just dating my, am I just old? A few of us. Just me and Linda were the only ones paying attention to this. I'll have to find some more ones. This thing sold 4.5 million copies. Guess what happened when Jesus didn't come back in 1988? Yeah, he wrote a book. Uh, oh, he found one more reason. Uh, 89 reasons he'll come in 1989. No kidding. Also did it in 93 and 94. I think he probably sold lots less books uh, as that went around. Or uh, how many of you remember um, from just, I don't know, six, seven years ago, the whole blood moons thing? Oh, all these things are aligning. There's the prophecy. Jesus is coming back. The blood moons are happening. And some people really got into it. And I wasn't here, so I don't know if you guys did, but I don't think with Dwayne around that would have flown. (laughs) So, um, but a lot of people really got into this thing. Um, uh, or, or, I'll step on some toes here, but love me anyway. Um, um, with this last election, there were lots of prophecies about who would win the election. And when those so-called prophecies didn't happen, some of the prophets, I admire that they went, oh, I got that wrong, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Some of them doubled down and they're like, oh no, it's going to happen, it's going to happen in March, it's going to, I mean, it, it's going to happen in August, it's... It's, it's kind of crazy um, when, when people predict that stuff in the name of God, they prophesy these things. And then sadly, when Christians, friends, this is where we have to be careful, when we pass that stuff around, we're complicit in it. If we do that, if you've done that, there might be some work you need to do to like backtrack on that because those are false uses of the gift of prophecy. And when those things happen, it causes lots of people to just kind of step back and believe that that stuff in any form is not proper, not possible, not real. And in fact, when we put God's name on something like that, say God said, da-da-da-da-da, we're taking God's name in vain. I think that's one of the commandments. 
We have to be so careful, friends. It's very serious. But prophecy can be misused, and so some people don't believe in it. Uh, That 1 Corinthians 12 list also includes probably the most controversial one for lots of church people, um, the gift of tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues. And I think I got this definition from Gary Kinnaman. The Holy Spirit-given ability to speak in an unknown language, a supernatural communication with God through the Holy Spirit. Now, there's lots of crazy stories about this. I came out of a Pentecostal background where you had to speak in tongues in the church that I was at and the school I went to and was first licensed as a pastor with. Um, And in some churches, not all, in some of those kinds of churches, there's this high level of pressure on people. Like you'd go forward for prayer, you'd ask God for the gift of tongues, and it's awesome to have people pray with you, but... You know, sometimes I hear or see these stories where, you know, there's one person praying for the gift of tongues, there's two people ministering to them, and they're just kind of coaching them along, come on, brother, just let it go, let it go, let it go, and the other one's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, it's very confusing. Like, what do you, what do I do? So, um, it's funnier if you've been around those situations, maybe, yeah. Um, Another kind of... (laughs) Can you believe that Bible college students studying to be pastors would be a little irreverent? I was, yeah, I'm talking about me and my friends, yeah. So another kind of semi-joke that my Bible college um, was, was the story of somebody saying that they were coaching someone because in order to be a pastor in that denomination, you had to speak in tongues. And so there were a lot of people called to ministry that were like really distraught because they didn't legitimately have the gift and they didn't want to fake it. And so here are some actual things that people said. Well, just say this phrase really fast over and over so you'll either get the gift of tongues or sound like it. Say this phrase over and over. Ready? See me, tie my bow tie, untie my bow tie. Just say that over and over. See me, tie my bow tie, untie my bow tie really fast. Just over and over and over. Don't worry, lightning's not going to strike, you guys. I know I'm making some of you nervous. Or my favorite was, was this, uh, shoulda bought a Honda. Shoulda bought a Honda. Wow, some of you are really nervous. All right, now some of these examples I give are, are kind of on the humorous, kind of goofy side. And sometimes it's people that are well-meaning and they're just doing their best, right? And we're all kind of goofy. We're all really weird, right? But I'm concerned, as some of our skeptics among us, among us would be rightfully concerned, I think, that on the other side we go, hey, you know what? When somebody counterfeits or mocks this, that's bad. Like if somebody pretends um, to have a gift of the Spirit, especially if they're profiting off of it, like those kinds of manipulations make a mockery of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Like, those manipulations actually turn people away from God, especially if it comes to light that these hoaxes were done in the name of God. And if you've seen stuff like that go on, like I have, and like lots of our culture has in the last number of decades, what I wish I could do is just apologize. Like, I had, wish I had the authority somehow to apologize on behalf of, of all Christians who have made a mockery of something that, that God meant for good in the body of Christ. Like, the gifts of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, are supposed to edify and build up the body of Christ. And when it gets misused, it really makes me sad because I do believe 
Even if I don't understand them all and operate in them all, I do believe that these manifestations of God are real and that they're supposed to be gifts from God and God only gives good gifts, so they're supposed to be something good. So I get the skepticism, but hear me. Um, Just because people misuse or abuse the, the gifts of the Spirit does not mean that those gifts are not real or valid. I mean, just read 1 Corinthians verses, or chapters 12 through 14 this week. This is nothing new. People have misused the gifts for a long time. The Corinthian church, as Paul's writing to them, they're a, they're a chaotic circus, and people are speaking in tongues all over the place and one after the other and over each other, and they're just randomly throwing out new songs, to, and it's just chaos. And in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says... If inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So they were doing it back then too, which gives us a cue of what we want to do today if we see that stuff. But catch this. Catch this is so important. Even though the people in Corinth were acting crazy and Paul has to correct them, catch this. He never says that their gifts are not real. He never reacts and says, stop it. That's not real. Never. Instead, he instructs them in the right use of the gifts. The right use of the gifts. Because the solution to the misuse of the gifts is not to abandon the gifts. The solution is the right biblical use of the gifts of the Spirit. And while it's easy to just list off funny stories and negative examples of the misuse, like I just did a minute ago, I do think that there are legitimate expressions of these gifts. I could give you tons of stories. I know there are people in the room here who could give you lots of stories. But I just want to mention a few of the ways that I have seen some of the gifts used in legitimate biblical operation. Let's look back at the word of knowledge gift. Is there a biblical use? Again, all of these things, we have to be careful. We're learning, right? But this word of knowledge gift plays a special place in my story because uh, of my wife, who at the time, Heidi, was 33. She was not a believer. She was um, recently divorced. She was uh, working in the business world, climbing the ladder, Chase Manhattan Mortgage, She was searching for God, though. She was searching for God. She'd been going to church with a a friend from work, but one uh, week, one Sunday morning, um, she's getting ready for church, just her, living alone, and she says to God, God, I just uh, feel like you're out there somewhere. I I feel like you're out there somewhere. And she goes ahead and goes to church, and her her friend, uh, she wasn't there. And so Heidi sat alone, and also that week, there was a guest pastor preaching from uh, Teen Challenge Ministry, which is a great recovery ministry. Um, And this guy's preaching. Heidi's never seen him before. He's a guest. He's never been around there before. And this guy is preaching, and he stops mid-sermon, mid-sermon, just stops because he got a word of knowledge. And Heidi didn't even know that's what it was called. Um, but the guy gets a word of knowledge, and here's what a word of knowledge look like, looks like. He said this. I know I'm supposed to stop right now. He used the phrase, catch, there's a check in my spirit, which I always feel like, go cash the check, brother. But um, 
He said, there's someone in here who feels like they're talking to God. There's someone here who feels like they're talking to God, and he is out there somewhere. And you want to know how to get him inside. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. Same phrase, exact same phrase, same question that Heidi was asking by herself in the morning. There's no way he could have known that phrase. Now, you could go, well, maybe there's a bunch of people that's true of, so watch what happens next. There's this next thing is he says this. It doesn't matter that you are a manager, you still need to do this. <laughs> Which was her job at Chase Mortgage and... Um, Heidi can tell the whole story sometime, but that is where she knew that God was real, calling to her specifically. And that's a great example of a word of knowledge in action. It's stuff, again, he couldn't have known. That was way too specific to deny or somehow concoct. It's not like a, like a fortune teller or a tarot card reader or a medium that gives you all these generalized, vague things that could fit a thousand people, which, by the way, that stuff is not in line with walking with God <laughs> for good reason, because sometimes there is power in it, and it's empowered by the enemy, not by the Spirit of God, but that's a sidetrack. But words of knowledge that come through the people of God are real, they are legitimate, and God will use them to encourage people and to draw people to himself. How about the gift of healing? Um, I bet we could go around this room and there are gifts of healing that we have seen happen. I thought of a couple this morning that I didn't ask permission to share, so I'm not gonna share those. Um, but if you know, if I'm talking about you, feel free to let me know later and I'll use it second service or a different time. One uh, clear example of healing was my son Noah. I believe he was 14 or 15 at the time, and every year he would get these seasonal asthma things, and it'd get pretty bad. And one year he was, we were at a church service learning about praying for healing um, and seeing people prayed for to get healed, and he was having this asthma attack start, and he was wheezing, and I'm thinking, oh, I gotta get him out of here, we gotta, we gotta get out the door, like, let's go. And someone, sitting on the other side of the room, said, I have a sense that we're supposed to pray for people that have uh, asthma. He sits up like, whoa, okay, that's me. So he's all in, right? And um, long story short, they pray for him. Not only was his asthma bang healed right then, right then, stopped. He never had to use medication. Again, he never had another asthma attack. God completely healed him. So healing is legit, it's legit, and I know that several of you experienced some level of healing. Uh, a couple years ago, um, uh, a friend of ours came and just taught on how to pray for each other for healing. He wasn't the evangelist praying and laying hands on everybody. He was like, no, 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 you guys pray for each other. Here's how you do it, right? And people experienced healings here, right here in this room, and it wasn't like weird and bizarre. Like, it was just supernaturally natural. Like, oh, right? We've prayed for people here. Sometimes nothing happens, nothing, sometimes. And the funny thing is I'm shocked when something does happen. Like we prayed for people and bang, a migraine is gone. So much so that I'm checking back every, are, are, you still got, did it come back, right? Like, <laughs> like that stuff has happened and I wish it would happen more regularly, but I want God to pour out healing more and more on us. 
Um, how about the prophecy one? Let me give you a quick example on the prophecy one. Um, one of stories, one of my favorite stories on prophecy happened at our wedding uh, five and a half years ago. Am I getting it right, baby? Yeah, okay. Better check my timeline here. Um, I had been out of church ministry for a while and figured that because I'd been divorced and that I'd probably never, you know, maybe I'd work in a church like in an assistant or associate spot, and that was fine. Um, but I didn't even need to work in a church. I was just okay with that. Um, I was doing other things to earn income to provide for my family. And at our wedding, um, right after and during the reception, and two people separately came to me um, saying that they had seen God's hand on me and specifically that God was going to bring me back into church ministry as a pastor. And I remember looking at one of them who was an older guy, and I slapped him on the back. I said, well, God hasn't told me that. Why don't you go get another drink over at the bar here? Uh, enjoy the reception. Um, and that was Gary Kinneman, who spoke a month ago here on the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and actually, interestingly, today, today, exactly four years ago today, was my first time speaking at Hope as a guest um, guest speaker while um, Pastor Paul led a team of people to Israel. So four years ago. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, and I would have never imagined that that prophecy was ever going to come true. I didn't try to make it come true. I kind of tried to back away from it a bunch. Um, but God called it into being. And lastly, I want to, I just want to say something about the gift of tongues. Um, Again, first of all, it's a gift. Remember, it's a gift. Even though it's controversial and people do weird things with it, it's a gift. But speaking in tongues is supposed to build you up. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy and strengthens the entire church, right? So we focus on, well, I want to strengthen the entire church. I want prophecy. I mean, that's better. And so some people just don't even pay attention to tongues. But don't miss that first part. It said, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, which is a good thing because we need to be strengthened personally. That's what the gift of tongues is for. Romans 8.26 sheds a little more light on this gift where it says, we do not know what we should pray as for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I recently heard somebody here at Hope, say something really cool. They said, you know, speaking in tongues helps me so much, especially when I'm praying for my, my older adult children who are not following Jesus. Like, I don't know how to pray sometimes, or I run out of what to pray, but I still have this heaviness, so I just shift to praying in the Spirit. I pray in tongues, and I know that God is up to something. And many times, my anxiety turns to peace in those moments. And I thought that was cool, because I'd never thought of that application, but it makes sense, Right? We pray in the Spirit, we pray in tongues, the Spirit himself makes these intercessions for us, these groanings with words that cannot be expressed deep, deep within us. And so it's a legitimate gift. In fact, the Apostle Paul, right, he valued this gift of tongues. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? Whoa. And my Doug Lynn version of that is, uh, I speak in tongues more than all y'all, right? All y'all. That's Paul's, that's Paul's go on it, right? But listen, I'm not saying that you have to speak in tongues. You don't. But you could. You probably can. Um, 
And some of us are like, well, not everybody gets the gift of tongues. That's true, but we won't know until we ask, seek, and knock as we've studied the past few weeks. Just ask and seek and knock, and it's an over and over kind of thing. Just ask. There's no pressure. If it's a gift, though, wouldn't God just give it to you? Um, there's somebody here in our church about a month ago um, had asked for that gift on and off for a long time. No big pressure, no big worry. Just asked and decided again to ask, came forward and had uh, some of our prayer team pray, and, and God gave that gift. Now, none of you noticed anybody going crazy up here, right? Like, so, like, the Spirit can come, and it doesn't have to, like, really look bizarre. Um, and God does still give these gifts. Let me wrap it up with this. So then, um, if we want more of God, the question is, do we want and need more of God, people of hope? Do we want and need more of God? Worship team, will you come? We want and we need more of God, and maybe some of those things that have been in the way, maybe some of the skepticism's been in the way, and we just want to take that skepticism out to make room for God. I think what we need to do are two things, just ask and empty. Ask and empty. First, we just ask, and again, we keep on asking like we've studied. We keep on asking. We're not begging, but earnestly, zealously are the words used in the scriptures, asking for the gifts. Like, ask God, get alone with God. Ask him to give you his heart for the world or for our church to build up our church or for the people around you that would be impossible for us to do on our own, but ask him to give you the power and the gifts of the spirit that that we need to do what we can't do on our own. Just ask, get by yourself and pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And then just wait and see what God does. That's the first one, right? You just ask, the ask part. And the second part, empty. Ask the Holy Spirit as we sing now just to show you what might be in the way of you being filled. If there is something in the way of you being filled with the Spirit or experiencing more of what the Spirit has, and my inkling is for some of us, it's just that skepticism and that doubt or that passivity or the fear that we're going to turn weird. We'll talk about that another week. Uh, just let that go. Like, just empty. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you're filled with. Because it's not about being completely perfect, right? This is a gift. You don't earn it. It's a spiritual gift. And if I want to be filled with the Spirit of God instead of something else, I'm going to need to make room for the Spirit to operate. Am I skeptical? Have I overreacted to seeing gifts misused? I might need to take that out so it doesn't crowd out the space that the Holy Spirit wants. So, as we sing, ask and empty, ask and empty. And as we sing, just ask Holy Spirit, what needs to be emptied from my life? What is it that I'm turning to in order to feel filled or that would be blocking instead of me being willing to be filled with you, Holy Spirit?
Do whatever you 